Welcome to Chatting Wine, the video and podcast series where we talk about all things wine related, keeping it simple, interesting and informative. Check out our Instagram page if you want to see more details. Cheers! Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Chatting Wine. Uh, today, uh, we're very happy to welcome back Lee Isaacs. Lee, say hi. Hello, hello. I, I feel sorry for your listeners because they've got me again and they're, they're going to be sitting there going, first another lockdown and now this. It's him again. But, but here <laughs> I am. That, thank thank you for having me back. That web popular tomorrow, they're loving you. Well, I'll, I'll take that. That's, um, that's very, very nice of them to say. <laughs> Um, mate, it's great to have you back on. Um, you know, we always seem to chat during lockdowns. It's <laughs> our thing, isn't it? Um, I think you will, yes, but, that's it. Um, it's great to have you on to chat about... Well, so we're going to talk about the Rhone Valley today. Um, so the Rhone is a, is a sort of famous area in, in, uh, in France. Um, some of you will have heard wines like Chateau Neuf de Pape. That is where um, Chateau Neuf de Pape is from. So, Lee, I will let you sort of talk about the Rhone. Uh, firstly, sort of the first question is, you know, where is the Rhone? So the Rhone is in kind of, I suppose, central eastern France is, is the way to think about it. So I, I think in the past we've talked about Burgundy. It kind of starts where Burgundy ends and then you've got Beaujolais in the middle um, and, and then the Rhone begins. It, it effectively runs north to south from, from Vienne down to Avignon right in the south. So it's quite a it's quite a big area, but the Rhone... There's, there's a lot of interesting things about the Rhone, I suppose there are about any regions, but the, the Rhone is essentially split into two really quite different areas. And they're, they're both lumped under the Rhone because ultimately they kind of follow the, the Rhone River, to which the region is imaginatively named. So in the north, which starts roughly the, in Vienne, that runs down to Valence. That's kind of this long, narrow, quite steep valley where they're making wines that only accounts for 5% of the region's production. But that's why we tend to see, in inverted commas, the, the best wines coming from. And then you head sort of south a little bit around Orange and down to Avignon, and you get a much wider spread. It's it's flatter very generally, although the silly areas, but this much wider area. So it goes from being sort of quite a narrow valley to a big spread out part. And that's the, the southern Rhone where we get... You mentioned their Chateauneuf de Pape um, and Cote de Rhone, the really well-known wines. That's where they come from. Cool. So, I mean, obviously, it's it's well known for some some incredible wines. Um, although I think actually a lot of people out there don't know the Rhone that well. Uh, if they're talking, you know, if I ask the, the layman out there, you know, what do what areas we know in France? I'll say Burgundy, Champagne, Bordeaux, mm-hmm. um, and then they may say Loire, Alsace, Rhone. Um, I think, um, but that obviously there's some amazing wines. So can you talk us through um, what, sort of what, what wines are grown? I think let's start with the red varieties. So what red varieties are grown in, in the Rhone? Well, Rhone's, uh, I'll answer that, but there's something you said there that's really interesting to me. I, I think when you talk to, if you will, the everyday wine drinker, which is, I, I think, sort of the majority of people who, who listen to this, this brilliant podcast, they're sort of everyday wine drinkers, if you will. When we think about the Rhone, I would think, from my experience, most people kind of go, well, Rhone, it's just, what is Rhone? What is Cote de Rhone specifically? And they go, well, Cote de Rhone is just really good French red wine, isn't it? So there's this kind of thing that, it's a bit like Rioja in Spain. People know Rioja is really good Spanish red wine, but beyond that, people don't necessarily know much more. That's a very broad generalisation. 
And I'm mm. certainly not taking a stance as to whether people should or shouldn't. But I, I, I don't believe that. But my feeling is people go. So a really good example was my old man who was a, a very keen wine drinker and he got me into drinking wine. But he, he didn't really know anything about wine. But he's a good example because he would say Chateauneuf de Pape, that's really good red wine and it's French. But but that would kind of I don't even know if my, my if my old man knew that Chateauneuf de Pape was a region. But I, I, I under the impression that he thought it was a brand. And I've seen people that think that Chateauneuf de Pape, we'll discuss in a moment, is, is, a, is a physical region. It's not just a brand. There's lots of producers that. Um, so it's quite interesting that Chateauneuf de, uh, that Chateauneuf de Pape or Cote de Rhone are really successful commercial wines, but without necessarily people having a lot more understanding of them. So I think that's a really interesting point. But anyway, back to what, what your original question was, I digress. <laughs> it, it, I think it's important to break the Rhone down into, into the two areas, the north and the south. Yeah. So the, the majority of what the Rhone as a whole produces is red. So 75% of the north and south together produce red wine uh 10% is white and then that leaves what uh 15% for that other pink stuff that we that we don't talk about um but if we if we look at the northern I road I forgot about your hatred of rosé yeah rosé I mean if, if you're listening to this and anybody's listening to this and go oh I like rosé you don't you don't they're, they're <laughs> <You're wrong>. terrible <laughs> awful wines and you shouldn't be drinking them and you need to have a, a good long conversation FYI he's chatting absolute garbage rosé is great Anyway, anyway, um, if we look at the Northern Rhone, which is 5% of the overall production for the region, it's predominantly red wine. There's a little bit of white wine comes out of there. There's a little bit of sparkling, but it's predominantly red. But there's only one red grape variety permitted under the Appalachian rules. So the Appalachian rules state that, you know, you have to do things this way for these grapes, put the name on the label. And the red grape that they use in the Northern Rhone is Syrah or Shiraz, as we know it, it's the same variety. So if, you, if you're drinking a red from the Northern Rhone, it's Syrah. And whilst we sort of say, you know, Syrah, Shiraz, it's the same thing. It, it's the same variety. It's easy to then think, oh, Shiraz from Australia. And it's that big kind of beefy, maybe a bit jammy, maybe a little bit sweet, heavily alcoholic as a broad generalisation. Northern Rhone Syrah isn't really like that. It's much more savoury kind of medium bodied i would say like true northern rhone isn't that big powerhouse punch you in the face kind of thing and it doesn't necessarily have all that sweetness so it's a much more savory herbal earthy style very fresh great fruit in there but without necessarily that that kind of sweetness to it if you then move into the southern rhone what they do is is a bit different so in the northern rhone we're saying that they use one red grape variety which is syrup in the northern rhone the current information that you would study says there's 13 grape varieties that they use in the south there's actually a little bit more than that now i think the rhone as a whole is 34 grape varieties they can use but in the southern rhone if we look at the reds they make there and they're the reds that you know people have probably heard a little bit more of so Cote de rhone Cote de rhone village chateauneuf de pape yes they still use syrah but much more importantly they use a lot of a grape variety called grenache they use others as well. You would expect a Southern Rhone wine to be a blend of, at the very least, two of these varieties, probably even more. So there's other varieties that they use, like Mavedra, Pou Noirs, Ferret Noir. There's, there's loads. 
and I'm just making myself sound clever by reeling off the names of great varieties that people have never heard of and in fact they don't really need to know about um, but Grenache is whilst we think of Syrah as being a big sort of spicy peppery variety Grenache is also quite spicy more white pepper perhaps than black pepper maybe but it has quite high alcohol it's got a thinner skin so Grenache can often look a little bit pale but really pack quite a punch of alcohol so in the south they blend Syrah and Grenache and these other varieties together and they give you I, I sort of equated the wines to, to Australia they're a bit closer to that style in that they're a bit bigger a bit richer a little bit more alcoholic perhaps so that's the very general view of red wines from the north and the south and correct me if I'm wrong, but, I, you know, a majority of those wines are blended, aren't they? Yes. So ev everything in the South, and I, I think under Appalachian law, they have to be blended. So, so I, I don't think in the South you're allowed to make a own just for Grenache. I, I have to double check that, but um, from my sort of memory of what's studying... The and, that? What, what, what's the thinking? So I, I think the idea there is... is that what you have in the Southern Rhone is because it's a much wider area, you've got a lot more diversity of kind of soils and microclimate. So partly there's, a, there's an element of hedging your bets. But also by blending these different varieties together, you can actually make a more complex product. So if you, I mentioned Grenache there, really high alcohol. Um, it's quite low in acidity and it's got a thin skin. So it doesn't necessarily present you with lots of colour or tannin, but really nice bright red fruit and a lot of alcohol. If you then take Syrah, that's got a thicker skin. It will give you a little bit more acidity, slightly lower alcohol, but it will give you uh, a darker, kind of richer, earthier fruit. So what, what you can do is kind of blend those and get the best of both worlds. And then by introducing these other varieties that I mentioned, like Mavedra is very common. That's quite, um, like it's always described using the term foxy. And then I sort of go, well, how many people have like tasted a fox? Because I, I haven't. You know, it's not it's it's not on my regular menu um, and I don't think I'd want it to be. But Foxy, we kind of mean a slightly feral, kind of earthy, maybe slightly spicy character, maybe a bit musty, which are all sound quite negative, but they're not intended that way. So if you blend those three together, you know, you get the bright red fruit and the alcohol from the Grenache, but then you get the tannin and the darker fruit coming out from the Syrah and then you maybe get that kind of earthiness coming out of the Mavedra. So you're able to bring in a wider range of flavours by using different grape varieties together. But from a, a viticultural perspective, you're also saying, oh, you know, if, if something bad happens during the season and I lose my Grenache, at least I've still got Syrah and Mavedra and who knows whatever else that I can rely on to actually produce something. Mm. Great. I mean, that's really interesting. I think it's, um, I find the whole blending thing really fascinating just because you can change it change of wine i think there's a lot more to it i think with winemaking like the preciseness of it all and the constantly tasting from the barrels what's going to work well with what i find it really interesting um and i i love i love my uh my road sort of syrup blends uh, my gsm ganache syrup mouverdra sort of blends they're uh, they're really good so uh, lee talk to me about the white varieties and i know it's not quite as famous not as well known but still some good quality wines down there so white roan I, I i was hosting um a, a virtual tasting last week and, and one of the questions and although we weren't we didn't taste any roan wines it was a uh, sort of very introductory tasting somebody did, did ask the question about specifically about chateauneuf de pat white when we think of the roan you know as i said sort of 75 percent of the region's production is red 
from a commercial perspective, we don't see a lot of white roan, but the great varieties that I that they use out there, I really adore them. And you know, it, it kind of doesn't matter what I think because I'm I'm not the buying public. I only buy buy wine for me. Um, I look at what these great varieties do and I, I kind of think, you know, what? I think a lot of the, you know, general wine drinking uh, public out there, I think they would like what these great varieties do. But perhaps there's a lack of understanding of varieties. Sometimes you see the names of these varieties written down. It's totally always obvious how you pronounce them. There are three, as I said, there are, there are kind of three main white grape varieties used throughout the north and the south. There are others. But the main three really are Viognier, Marsan and Roussan. And I think some people might have heard of Viognier. That's a great variety that you you do see sort of with its own label. Uh, they make some in Chile. There's a tiny bit in Argentina. We see some examples from elsewhere in France. Um, Marsan and Roussan less so. But what these great varieties do, they're quite interesting varieties in that Normally, when we make white wine, we, we pick the grapes and we squash them to get the liquid out, and then we get rid of the grape skins. We don't want those. Obviously, in reds, slightly different. With these grape varieties, because of the, the sort of the physiology of them, it's quite common to use the grape skins in the winemaking a little bit. And what does that mean? It means that the grapes take on this little bit of oiliness and kind of texture and glycerol character. So they really coat your palate. And if I was to generalize the flavors of these varieties which is always a broad brush stroke they're really kind of peachy apricotty honeysuckle think of english summer garden mandarin nectarines really lovely juicy almost slightly sweet flavors but the wines themselves invariably are made as dry wines but viognier is an interesting one and it, most people tr taste a viognier certainly people i've tasted with they taste it and they go, oh, that feels a little bit sweet. And, and it isn't in terms of sugar, but it's that flavour delivery. It's so ripe and that peach and apricot. And these are wonderful varieties. So in the Northern Rhone, there's a, there's a couple of the, the Northern Rhone is broken down into, into crews. And when it comes to crews, normally my favourite is Penelope. Um, but she's she's not usually hanging around the Northern Rhone. The, the, the Northern Rhone, there are eight crews and I, I could try and give the impression that i'm clever in not, not, re not ted or tom no no not not ted. Uh, somebody once said p and o um which i thought i thought was quite good and i made a note of it to use myself but um i invariably just just talk about penelope because she still won't leave me alone she still calls almost every week and it's getting ridiculous anyway people don't need to worry about you know penelope cruise bothering her. the northern rhone is broken down into into eight crews now a crew is effectively just a named area and it gets that name because historically over time and experimentation and vintages and vintages and vintages making wine people have realized that specific area when it grows that grape it does it so well we want to put the name on the way of the region so for example you have in in the north the northernmost crew is called coat roti the southernmost is called san Perret. out of the eight crews the, there are a couple which only do white wine so you have one called Condriu, and that Condriu it's always white and it's always 100% Viognier and within Condriu there's a there's a monopole which is called Chateau Grier and again 100% Viognier sometimes sometimes those wines see oak um, and, and I'm sure most people listening will know with oak often comes sort of vanilla-y smoky cedary potentially nutty flavours 
I think Viognier is so wonderful on its own, all those flavours I mentioned, peach and apricot and blah, 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 all those pumps of fine terms, that I don't think Viognier needs oak. But often we see that in the Northern Rose. The southernmost crew in Northern Rose is called Sampere, and that's actually sparkling. Um, but you, I can't remember the last time I saw a bottle of Sampere here in the UK. So you, you do see it. It's just not all that common. I, I don't know what other markets are like. Yeah. So I suppose the other interesting thing while we're talking about the Northern Rhone, in some of the crews, what they're allowed to do is actually make the wine by blending the red and white varieties, which I remember when I first started learning about wine seemed really weird. Like, well, like I get that you would blend white varieties together, and I understand that you might blend red varieties together, but why would you blend red and white? And it, it comes from originally coat roti, which I mentioned. Coat roti means roasted slope, very hot. And the syrah that grows there is really tannic and hard and takes a long time to mature and, and all of this. But they also grow Viognier. And, and some wise guy figured out that, well, if I put Viognier in with the syrah, it it kind of moderates it. So it, it will lower the tannin. It will introduce those nice fruity perfume flavours. Now, that's something that they can do. They don't have to do. So you could well be drinking Coat Roti that's 100% syrah. Or you could be drinking coat roti that has up to 15% Viognier in it. And it, it it kind of that idea really starts there for me when I talk about mm. blending white and red varieties. Other places do it. Australia um, really got onto that. So you can see, you can find a, a, a fair bit of Shiraz Viognier. Darenberg, the very famous producer, makes a wine called the Laughing Magpie, which is a, a Shiraz Viognier blend. And it's influenced by that idea from the Northern Rome. Cool. I think that's that's super interesting as well. So... When we talk about affordability of these wines, how do they range? I mean, can you buy them you know, for £10? Can you buy them for £50, £100? So if, we, if we're talking about the Northern Rhone, so it's, a, it's a very small area. As I said, it's only 5% of the total production for the overall Rhone. So the wines too, do tend to be sl slightly higher in price. There's, there's a crew which is kind of in the middle. So, so there's, there's eight crews north and south. And the one that's in the middle is called San Joseph. And that's the largest region by area. And I think you can probably pick up a decent San Joseph for ooh, maybe 15 to 20 pounds. I've seen them. What you've got in the Northern Rhone is, is there are a couple of really superstar producers. So um, one of my favourite names from the Northern Rhone is, is Yves Guilleron. And his wines are super duper. They tend to be a bit pricey because there's that name and, and there's that history to them. So some can be sort of 15 to 20 quid. I think you struggle to find Northern Rhone below that. The superstar name of the Northern Rhone in terms of the cruise is called Hermitage. And there's a, this really wonderful history behind it that um, during the Crusades, this this famed French knight went out on the Crusades and survived and he came back and the, the King of France sort of said, you know, you can have anything you want. And he was so sick and tired of war and probably people, which let's be honest, most of us can associate with that. He said, I just want to live on top of this massive hill, which is in the Rhone Valley. So he lived there as a hermit and, and the whole hill became known as Hermitage after, you know, this guy that lived there. Fantastic piece of history. That's seen as the very best producing area of the northern Rhone. And again, there's, a, the, there's some really superstar producers. So Hermitage, you, know, you, you could pay three figures a bottle for if you want to. But I don't know. I, I would expect a decent Northern Rhone if you can find one. 
you know, 25 to 30 pounds, give or take, you should be able to get something really good for that. Yeah, I think I think whenever I sort of buy with Rowan wines, I think the 15 quid mark is, is spot on. I think the quality is really, really good. Um, yeah. They're, they're a bit, you know, they're, they're three quid probably more than your, your average wine, if you sort of say 11, 12 pounds, your average wine. Um, average good quality wine. Um, yep. So I, I think it's I think it's really worth it because I just love the spiciness to a lot of them, and the complexity because of, because of the blending because of the Viognier going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the complexity is really delicious. Um, and so, if you were going to go to a wine or a supermarket, what would you typically find there from the Rome? If you frequent the the supermarkets, are a really good place to start. You don't tend to see much from the Northern Rome. Um, I'm just trying to think if I have seen anything of late in the supermarket and I, I can't think of anything. It doesn't mean, you know, somebody will be listening and say, oh, well, I was in Sainsbury's and I spotted wine X. They're much fewer and further between. I think partly that's price point. Partly that's the commercial factor. You, you know, the supermarkets want wine there that can sell itself to, to a degree because, you know, the supermarket model doesn't account to have someone stood in the aisle that can talk to you. So by virtue of that, you do see less from Northern Rome. What you will find, however, is a lot of wine from the south. So you will find lots and lots of Cote de Rhone, lots and lots of Cote de Rhone village. I'll, I'll explain what that means. And you'll definitely find Chateau Neuf de Pap because, as we said, that's one of those wines that people know, people associate with being quality. It, it's a great thing. So, you know, back when I was at the Oxford Wine Company in the shop, customers would come in. Uh, Christmas was always a, a good time for this. And they'd say, oh, I don't know anything about wine. But I know that Chateauneuf de Pap is good. And you sort of go, well, you just contradicted yourself there. You, you seem to know something about wine, which I think is great that you know something about wine. It doesn't matter if you don't. But how do you know that? Well, it just is, isn't it? Chateauneuf de Pap is great. Fantastic marketing from Chateauneuf de Pap. In the supermarket, though, you will find Chateauneuf de Pap and you'll definitely find Cote de Rhone. Cote de Rhone, uh, there's, there's a very well-known brand called Cellier de Dauphin, uh, which is, is really decent. And I think that probably pitches... The entry level is probably only around eight pounds, seven or eight pounds, something. I feel like I'm answering the how much is a pint of milk question because uh, I don't know how much it is off the top of my head, but probably about seven or eight quid for Cellier de Dauphin. Uh, it's a big, it's a big cooperative, um, and I think they're in every single supermarket to the best of my knowledge. But as a kind of a, almost as an introduction to their own, I think they're really good. I think they've got good branding. I think the wine delivers at its price point. I think it's decent quality. And then from there, you you know, you might might start seeing Cote de Rome Village and, you know, obviously Chateauneuf. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be back, and I hope everyone's keeping safe and well. See you again.
Yeah. Perfect. Lee, look, mate, thank you so much for that. That was um, that was awesome. A good, clear and concise sort of overview of the Rhone. Um, I hope everyone sort of gets a bit of information out of that and we could have gone into a lot more detail, which we will do down the line, I think. But I think that's a good overview of sort of what's growing there, what's good, what's, what's not, and um, how it works. So thanks a lot, Lee, and hopefully we'll see you very soon. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye.